Our consideration for the day, state of mind. Our culture, culture's adjustment to epistemology on television is by now all but complete. We have so thoroughly accepted its definitions of truth, knowledge, and reality that the irrelevance seems to us to be filled with import and incoherence uh, seems imminently sane. And if some of our institutions seem not to fit the template of the times, why, it is they and not the template that seem uh, to us to be disordered and strange. And this is from Neil Postman amusing ourselves to death. It does strike me that many people uh, whose arguments they make uh, for different things are usually steeped in what they are told are true from media or social media or any of these other norms that are put before us. I would proclaim to you guys uh, with uh, affirmation, with confidence, that there is no truth that exists outside of this outside of the word of God. And so if you're looking to any other source for your truth, you're going to miss the mark. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's almost like I talked to someone the other day and you compare life today, especially with social media and the way things are going with that. It's almost like high school all over again. You see people following along with the trends because it's popular with these individuals and they say it and say it and say it. And so this is what people think is true. And it's a fabricated kind of truth, right? And people place their confidence in that. There goes that word confidence. Rather than the confidence in the things that God has said in his word. And so that's a segue. I'm gonna, I've been working on that to segue into one thing to another. And so that brings us to our topic for today. Why can we be confident the word of God tells us that we can be confident, and yet we find many believers lacking in confidence or trying to fabricate a false confidence that we talked about there earlier. Um, and you look in all kinds of leadership positions. You look at a CEO of a company, any company that you belong to. Who wants to work for somebody that's not confident? You ever work for anybody that's that's lacking in confidence or trying to act like they're confident when they're not? It doesn't work out too well, does it? You don't put trust in that leader. How about parents that are unconfident? Are you going to put trust that they know what they're doing if they're not saying it with confidence? No. You lose a lot of trust in people when they're not confident in what they say that they believe in or what they're espousing to be true. Now I want to flip that over on us. We would all in this room like to see other people saved, or we would all like to see believers in a place where they're walking out the Christian life, wouldn't we? Is there anybody in this room that doesn't want to see that? And yet, are we projecting a confidence in the word of God and in the things that the word of God says are true? Because if you're not, how do you expect anyone that's looking at you to be able to see the authenticity of what we believe? I'm not trying to call into conviction anybody here by saying this. It only fits in with the discussion. And we've all been there where we're not matching up with the walk of what we believe in, right? Pray that it be not the wrong time. I talk often about Paul and how... 
It was unfortunate for a lot of the believers in his time because he would call them out in these epistles, right? When they weren't living up to what they were supposed to live up. Look, he called out a whole church in two epistles, <laughs> the Corinthian saints. And we're going to look at him calling them out again here. Why? Because they were putting their confidence in words of individuals who were wrong. And he had to tell them our confidence is not in anything that other men say. Our confidence comes from what we believe from God. And we can certainly have confidence in the things that he says are true. So as you come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, again, he says there, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by meekness and gentleness of Christ. You see, he didn't come to them with a heavy hand, even though he probably should have. As you're dealing with a carnal church and individuals that uh, weren't necessarily buying into the things that he had definitely taught them before. Who in presence am base among you. This idea of uh, being base is to be humble among you, but being absent and bold towards you. So his posture, his deportment switched up when he was away from them because when he was around them, they were conducting themselves in the right way. But as he's away now, he has to be more bold in his approach because they need it. In verse 2 it says, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherewith I think to be bold against some, which think of us as though we walked according to the flesh. You see, the Corinthian saints had bought this message from these false teachers. That these guys, these apostles, quote unquote, they don't know what they're talking about. And who's accommodating or who's commendating, who's putting the rubber stamp on their message? Who says what they're saying is true? Who can validate it? And so what does Paul tell them? You are the ones that can validate what we said are true. And we don't need any letters of commendation to affirm us. We've taught you everything you need to know and you've seen it walked out in real time. And so he says, nothing that we have done is after the flesh. Verse 3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty, where? Through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of the Christ. You see, Paul was not placing any confidence in any of the things that he could do in the flesh. This word for confidence, I talked about it before, it's not as much confidence, it's persuasion. If you believed in something so strongly, you are persuaded by that thing, and there's nothing that anybody else is going to say to be able to move you off of it. And so as you deport yourself in your, con your conduct, what can you have? You're not somebody that, oh, <laughs> this might be true or it might not be true. You're confident of that thing, right? Are you confident of what you believe in Christ? Are you confident that the promises that God has made in his word are true? And are you walking it out in real time and not being moved from that position? We talked about on Monday nights as we're looking at the faith and how this faith is so pertinent to how we're living, 
these promises of God are true. And there's certain promises that come along that provide stability to how you live. And you're not like a, 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 a believer that can be tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine, right? When you're grounded and stabilized by God's word in Christ, you can't be moved. We talked about Jalen, I'm not putting you on the spot, Jalen, going to college, right? And college is a, a big, scary place. All kinds of new people, all kinds of new experiences that you haven't seen before. And I'll tell you, if you're grounded, it doesn't matter what situation you go into. You can have confidence because of the persuasion that you have in Christ. And that goes for any of the rest of us. Any situation that we're facing in this present tense, we can have confidence because we are persuaded that what God said in his word is true. And it grounds us as to who we are. You don't have to put on an act. You don't have to act like you're strong or, or tough in any situation. You have the strength that's in Christ, the one that created the whole universe. And so we're going to look at this today. Not only this word for being persuaded, and uh, we'll look at the tense that it's used, and it even intensifies the word. But we're going to look at all of these other words that accompany it. When you're persuaded by something, you can have confidence in something, and guess what? You can be bold. You can be courageous. You can even boast, right? You ever seen somebody, and I know a lot of you don't watch sports, but it's the best way to illustrate it. You score a touchdown, and what do they do? They're beating on their chest. They're <laughs> doing backflips. They're doing dances because they're boasting in what they've just done, right? And that's supposedly from confidence, right? See the next play when they get knocked out and they're not celebrating the same way, right? This boasting sometimes is empty. And we're going to see in scripture that there's an empty boasting that you can have. But there's also boasting that you can have where? In something that you've done? No, your boasting is in what Christ has already done. And so you can boast. You can be confident. You can be bold. You can be strong. You can be courageous. Why? Because all of these things that God said about you are true in Christ. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful for uh, all that you've given us. Um, and, and it's nothing of ourselves. You've completely drained uh, any cause for boasting away from us by allowing all the work of salvation to be done uh, through your son, Jesus Christ. And our reliance is on our faith in him uh, to provide for us uh, spirit baptism in which you placed us into Christ. And now you can look at your right hand and you see us. And it's, again, through nothing of ourselves, everything of what he has done. And so we can boast uh, or we can be confident. We can do all of these things in Christ. We pray that we would be uh, ones that are, are living in accordance with our position and seeing ourselves how you see us rather than how the world sees us. And that confidence might flow from that so that when others see us, they would be uh, curious as to why we're able to live this life in the way that we are. When other believers see us, they would be encouraged that they can also live the same life that we live because they have access to the same information and energy 
And we pray that that would be true of each one of us as we live out this life. We pray that you would open our minds through the Holy Spirit to those things that you desire for us to know and that, uh, or in order that at the end of the day we might be better servants of you. For it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, <clears throat> let me see where I want to start this. Let's look at this word uh, for that's translated here, confidence. And I keep saying it as confidence. And perhaps I probably should have translated it out because you might have the emphasis that <laughs> rests in your minds from this of the word for confidence. But I keep saying this word is actually the word for persuasion. Now, as you look at all of these, the umbrella of these words that we're going to talk about today, you will see this idea of confidence. But this word in uh, chapter 2, of, or excuse me, verse 2 of chapter 10 of first, uh, Second Corinthians, is our word for persuasion. Now, it has the idea of, a, it's translated as confidence or trust, or as a reliance on others, as a reliance uh, specifically on God, and as a reliance on uh, sometimes on oneself. So you can be self-assured, you can have persuasion of yourself and your own abilities, but I would warn you that if you do such things, you're setting yourself up for a big fall, right? Uh, you can be a person that's been doing uh, a job for years and years and years, and you've done it over and over and over again, and you're very confident in your abilities within that, that space, and then something changed, and then you're not able to do it like you were once able to do it before, right? That can happen. Uh, the thing that never changes is what we can do in Christ. These things are permanent. And so as we compare those things alongside of each other, we're going to look at uh, here in a little bit uh, this idea that there can be self-persuasion. There can be persuasion that you're given from things in the world. And then there's also the most important one that matters, your persuasion that you have in Christ. That's the one that matters. Now, my definition of this word is the placing of one's faith in a thing at, the, at a point in time to the extent of personal conviction that it will happen and that carries into the present tense. Now, why do I say this? As you're looking at this word for persuasion, it comes from our word pytho. It just means that, persuaded. The opposite is some, someone that's unpersuadable. And we have all of these verses in Scripture. And I'm going to do a little bit more work on this because there's a lot, lot here. But there are ones that can be unpersuaded. And uh, 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 I believe Brother Dan was looking into this word of, uh, of persuasion and having to do with that. But there are ones that are unpersuaded, and it's usually by the word of God. There is nothing that you're going to say that's going to convince this individual that the word of God is true. So what's the opposite of that? The opposite is that you're completely persuaded, that you're sold out, that there's nothing anyone's going to say that's going to persuade you that this is not true. And it comes through a process, right? You believe something. We all collectively, I suppose, in this room have believed the facts of the gospel and that they're true. We believe that there was a man named Jesus that came down from heaven and took on this human body as a baby that was born and, and raised up into being a man that walked this earth and did miracles, that was killed unjustly, that was buried in a grave, that rose again from that grave and is now seated at the right hand of God. 
I'm not going to ask anybody if you don't believe that. <laughs> I'm trusting <laughs> that everyone in this room, in fact, I'm persuaded <laughs> that everyone in this room believes that. And so if we have this common belief or faith in those facts and acts that he did, what do we have from that? You see, we brought together hope <laughs> and faith in something, or, or uh, uh, hope, excuse me, I'm mis mixing up. Go with me over to Hebrews chapter 10. Substance is what I'm looking for. Hebrews chapter 11. Now I I'll often cite, and I did this on our class on Monday nights, but uh, here's another uh, plug for anybody that wants to know the definition of words in scripture. Here's a biblical definition of what faith is. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Now, any of you, did, were you witness to Jesus coming to the earth and dying on the cross, being buried and rose again? Because if you were, then it's not faith. You, you saw these things carried out. But I think all of us are in the ballpark that we didn't see this happen, right? But we have trusted that God's word is true. And these things that he said in his word are true. So we place faith in the fact that this happened. And so there's hope that comes along with that. And we put this together and it provides faith. Now this idea of, of faith here is the, the beginning part of you being persuaded. You believe in the facts of the gospel. And so now you trust that these things are true. And you hope for the things that God has projected to come. And it solidifies a fact that nobody's going to convince us otherwise as to these facts concerning the gospel. And so you are what? You're persuaded by them. And so we see this. Now this word for persuasion is used in other places besides the occurrence that we see here. I want to point out a couple of other occurrences of it. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15. Now it's very interesting that most of the occurrences of this form of this word come right here in this book of 2 Corinthians. And as you look at these Corinthian saints and how they were uh, allowing someone to move them from what they knew to be true from the word you understand why Paul is having to uh, give them this information. Now pick it up in verse 9. It says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead. Now, what is Paul having to do here? We talked about it. He's having to defend himself against these attacks from people that he shouldn't have had to defend himself against. Have you ever had someone say something to you that's that's not true or someone say something about you that's not true to another person and you're talking to this person that you've known for a long time and having to defend yourself against something that somebody else is saying that's where Paul is at he's having to defend himself with people that he knows really with people that he's had a close relationship with against people that are telling untruths in verse 10 it says, Who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, 
in whom we trust that he will deliver us again. You also helping together uh, by prayer, this word for prayer is supplication, uh, on behalf of us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many uh, on our behalf. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our conscience, that in sim simplicity and godly sincerity, sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world and more abundantly toward you. Um, and so you see their conduct has matched up with their, their actions and uh, what they uh, said was true before. In verse 13, for we write none other things unto you than what you read or acknowledge. And I trust you uh, shall acknowledge even uh, to the end. Verse 14 is also you have acknowledged us in part that we are uh, your rejoicing, even as you are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and in this confidence, this persuasion, I was minded to come unto you before in, the, uh, in order that you might have a second benefit. And so Paul is appealing to how he was persuaded of these individuals before. And he's, he's persuaded concerning them because he has taught them in Christ and they know these truths that reside in Christ and so what is he doing he's trying to appeal to that former persuasion to get them to conduct themselves in the right way in the present rather than listening to these individuals who are telling them otherwise and we could go back and I don't want to spend a lot of time uh, on individual verses but there's other uh, verses that express how these individuals were getting these uh, uh, Corinthian saints to look at things differently than they had been taught before. Uh, we also see over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4 that there can be a potential confidence or persuasion that's placed in approval from other men. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. And this is the one that I was alluding to earlier. Now, uh, these individuals are telling these Corinthian saints, and you have to imply it just by what they're saying here, that, hey, these guys, they're teaching you these things, but they don't even have anybody else validating what they're saying, right? Now, that's a very worldly thing to say. Imagine that you come into a university and you want to teach someone uh, some kind of rocket science. What are they going to ask? Any of you guys just come in here, I don't think any of you are rocket science teachers, but you just go into a university and you say, I'm a professor of rocket science, and I'm going to start teaching here. What do you think is going to happen? Your <laughs> they want your degree. They want some credentials that validate the fact that you can teach what you say you're teaching. Now, what is, is that the same way it works in Christ? Yeah, <laughs> people want degrees. They want your seminary degree many times, right? But that's a, I want you to know that that's a very worldly principle. It has nothing to do with Scripture. It never said in Scripture that you have to get a seminary degree to be able to go and teach in front of people. But that's how the world sees things. You need someone else to validate your message that it's coming from where you say it's coming from. Now, Paul is going to tell them here, you are our validation. 
because we've taught you and you know what's true from God's word. And you can compare that against what these individuals are saying, and it should hold up. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 3, it says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? You see how he says again? <laughs> he had come to them before and taught them already. Why does he need to do it again? Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You see? You see what they're telling them here? Hey, this Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. Who vouches for his message? Who says that this guy is a legitimate and true teacher? Who says that he's an apostle? What does he say in, in verse 2? You are our epistles, written in the hearts of... Or, or in our hearts, excuse me, known and read of all men. You see, he had taught them well enough that if they were walking it out and living the Christian life in the flesh, what should be able to happen? Other people should be able to look at them and see that the message that Paul had written or, or told to these guys is legit. But at this time, they're not living it out. Verse 3, for as much as you are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshy tables of the heart. What matters about information? We know that degrees don't matter most of the time. Even though they're required in this world system, does it really matter that some piece of paper says you can do this, or does it matter that you can actually do it? And that's how the world works. They want to see something written on paper. They want to have someone else attest to the fact that you can do this thing rather than, than the fact that you can truly do it. There are a lot of people that are self-taught how to do a lot of things. There are people that sit at home and mess around with computers and, and learn computers better than any school could ever teach them. And yet if they went and wanted to get a job, most of the people are going to say, hey, you don't have someone saying that you can do this. So I don't believe it. And Paul is saying, hey, we don't need any letters from anybody else validating our message because you're it. And if you were living it out right now, other people would see that. But you're not. In verse 4, and such trust, his word here is our word for persuasion, such persuasion have we through Christ uh, to Godward, not uh, to think ourselves as sufficient of ourselves, uh, to think anything of, as of ourselves, but our sufficiency, this word for sufficiency means competence. Our competence is from God. And so, what does Paul say over in Galatians? He says, and let's go over there really quick because it fits right in with what we're talking about here. I could say this is free, but I didn't put any of these verses in your notes, so I guess it's all free. <laughs> you just have words. But you guys can fill these in if you want, if you're, you're following in on your notes there. Um, I didn't know that I was going to have to speak today. I'll throw Brother Dan under the bus. If you're watching, Brother Dan, you deserve it. <laughs> I was told yesterday that we would have to, to fill in here. And so as you have those notes there, it's really just a, kind of a skeleton of what I've, I've really done. So you don't have a lot of the verses that are filled in. So if you want to follow along and mark some of these down in your notes, it, it would be helpful for you to come back um, and look at them. But um, Galatians chapter 1. 
Now, pick it up in uh, verse 10. And he's looking at this idea here. The Galatians are struggling a little bit with this idea that uh, you need some, some uh, confirmation too. And he's going to say, hey, <laughs> my confirmation doesn't come from men. There's nothing that men do to add to what I'm doing. It came directly from God. And he's, he's not just saying this, and he's one of these people like, uh, who's your guy that went out to, to Guyana and, and uh, led all the people astray to drink the Kool-Aid, uh, Jim Jones, who said, I'm getting the word directly from God. Listen to me, listen to me. No, you probably want to confirm what people are saying. But Paul showed it in demonstration with what he taught. And so you see it here. Pick it up in verse 10. He says, for do I persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of men, neither, neither was I taught it, but by, or really there through, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, he's going to give them some information here, and it's really a bombshell that he's dropping here, but he drops it in such a way that it looks very small as you're reading through. But he says it didn't come from man, it came from Christ. So you say, okay, maybe, maybe God just uh, uh, funneled these words into his mind. No, it's going to go a little deeper than that. In verse 13, he says, For you have heard of my conversation in times past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God, and wasted it. You see, this is who he used to be. And we all know Paul was a murderer. He was a madman. He was killing Christians one by one and trying to wipe them out completely. But in verse 14, he says, And it profited and, and profited in the Jews' religion above my equals or my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach uh, him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. <laughs> you see, the way that men might do things is when they get you off of a course or they move you into something else. They say, okay, you're saved now. It's time for you to go over here and confer with other men or have information translated to you from other men. That's not how it happened with the Apostle Paul. Now, I will say it's a little bit different because Paul was an apostle. So you might be able to be taught some things by men or by uh, things that men have done. Uh, but as for Paul, he says here, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. Verse 17, neither went I up to Jer Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. But I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him for 15 days. Uh, but other of the apostles saw I none save James, the Lord's brother. And so what is he expressing here? He's expressing that he's very much equal with all of the other apostles that had come before him. And he's expressing that the information that he has did not come from men but it came from God. And so God is the one that's given him this information. God is the one who caused him to be persuaded. Now, I don't know how much more of a persuasion you can get 
than to go out into the desert and have the Lord teach you directly. Now you talk about a, a seminary education, you can't get better than that, than having the one that's actually accomplished these things uh, teach them directly to you. Now as we look at this word for persuasion and back to the point of, of this particular word, uh, we see over in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 22 that there are some other things that accompany this word for uh, persuasion, but we see it used in, in context. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 22. Oh, there it is. Okay. Uh, and pick it up in verse 19. And it says there, and uh, not that, on, that only... Um, go back just a little bit. Uh, pick it up in verse 17. He says, For indeed he accepted the exhortation, uh, um, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we, we, have, sent, uh, we have sent with him the brother whose praise it is, uh, uh, is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And they're speaking of uh, Titus here, I believe. In verse 19, And not that only... But who uh, was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in, the, in this abundance, which is ministered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have sent uh, with them our brother whom we oftentimes prove diligently in many things, but not much more, or but now much more, in the diligent, uh, but now much more diligent upon the great persuasion which I have in you. And so Paul is persuaded that these Corinthian saints are going to be able to carry out the thing that they said they were going to do. Now, what is that thing? We talk about it often uh, when it comes time for offering. These Corinthian saints had made a pledge that they were going to give. And they are currently not carrying it out. Now, their current activity would suggest that you shouldn't be persuaded concerning the activity of these individuals, right? And that's a, a temptation for us all when we see believers not carrying themselves in a way that matches up to who they are in Christ. Are you very persuaded by them? Or are you saying, I'm going to write that individual out? He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. What if God had that same attitude towards us? What if God, when we messed up or we don't get it right, said, hey, he can't do it. I have no confidence in this individual. But God sees us as, as we are in Christ. Uh, and so here Paul is persuaded that these individuals are going to be able to get it right and get on the right path. Now, if you went on to verse 24, and I want to come back to this a little bit later. I don't know if we're going to be able to get to it. Uh, you see boasting that happens on behalf of them that can come from that persuasion in, uh, uh, in verse 24. And, oh, that's the only one that occurs around here. I'm having trouble seeing that glare there in my computer. Now, the next one that we see uh, for this word persuasion is over in uh, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12. Go with me over there. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 12. 
and pick it up in uh, verse 6. And he's coming off of speaking of this mystery uh, concerning uh, Christ and the new uh, creation. Uh, and really has a bunch of detail about uh, how the body of Christ is, is constructed. Uh, but pick it up in verse 6. He says that the Gentiles uh, should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the uh, promise in Christ by the gospel. Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace uh, of God given unto me uh, by the effectual working of his power. Now there's a couple of energy words that are going there on there and we talked about it before how that when you're plugged in to who you are in Christ there's energy provided right and you have energy for living and as you're being led by the Holy Spirit, you have energy for living out this Christian life. And it's not just your power and your ability. You're not having to dream up and think of ways to do things because it's being energized to you because you're plugged in. Almost like uh, that television set that you're watching. If it's not plugged into the wall, guess what? You're not seeing any vision. And if you're not plugged into Christ, people will see something, but it's not the vision that you want people to see. Right? And so that, that's how that works, being plugged in for power. In verse 8, it says, Unto me, who am the less of the least of all the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make known, or excuse me, make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which was from the beginning of the world hid in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. To the intent that now unto principalities and powers in the heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. And so we have uh, an ability to be able to know, and I wouldn't say the full wisdom of God, but you can understand that God's wisdom is many faceted. There's not one way that you're going to be able to look at how God applies his knowledge and understand how God operates. It's many faceted. There's many ways that God applies those things that he knows. In verse 11, according to the eternal purpose, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him, uh, or really there from him. Uh, wherefore, I desire that you faint not at my tribulations, uh, which are on behalf of you, which is your glory. And so in verse 12, you see here this confidence or this persuasion. It comes from where? The faith from him. And so as he's providing faith to you, you're able to have a persuasion concerning those things that God said are true in his word. And what does that lead to? Another word that he said before it. We have boldness and access. Think about what it says over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. In fact, let's go over there so I don't butcher it. I'm not even going to try to mess up this time. But Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. He says there, and now he's coming off of all of these things that he's said have been imputed to you, right, by the work of Christ. And as he comes into chapter 5, he says, therefore, based on all of these things that were stated before that are imputed to you by the work of Christ, not by anything of yourself, therefore being justified or declared righteous, how? By things that we've done? No. 
by faith. And we see that this faith that you're given is a gift from God. So that's not even anything that you've generated. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, we have access to God the Father through who we are in Christ. You ever heard anyone say, <laughs> when you talk about people that are praying and they go to God in prayer and they're not believers, you think God's sitting up there with an ear open to what they're saying? <clears throat> All of these people that are saying, I pray that God gives me this. I pray that God gives me a million dollars. I'll go back to what, <laughs> what the pastor told us, the story of one of the church meetings. I don't mean to set up any any uh, ideas for our church meeting hereafter, but one of the church meetings that happened in the, the church that uh, he grew up in, and uh, it was before my grandfather came, I think, but uh, the woman said, hey, God told me to do such and such, and the, the pastor said, God didn't tell you anything, right? And this is the attitude that he uh, displayed there, but it's really true when you look at people that aren't saved, they don't have access to God the Father. Everybody is not born to get access to go directly to God. In fact, if you look back in the Old Testament, you couldn't go to God unless you were what? A priest. You had to go through someone. And the same thing is true today. It just so happens that everyone that believes the facts of the gospel is what? A priest. And so we all have access to God. You can boldly, as it just said in that last verse, go directly to him in communication with him. And guess what? He listens. And if we ask anything according to his word, according to God's desires, we have the thing that we ask for. Just so happens that sometimes believers ask in accordance with their own desires and not that of God. And so we have to be very careful of that. The last one that we see for this word, and we've gotten so far, it, it really, uh, <laughs> go to me over to Philippians chapter 3. I think I'm going to have to revisit this on a, a future date. Things may look there a little organized on that uh, little short paper that you guys have, but I trust, I mean, I can assure you, or, I'm persuaded that my uh, notes aren't quite as organized as what you see. But in Philippians chapter 3, now Paul is talking about here a persuasion that he used to have, right? Now we talked about Paul and what he was doing prior to his conversion in persecuting the church of God. And everyone would look back on that and say, wow, what a horrible individual, right? Well, guess what? Paul was convinced, he was persuaded that the things that he was doing were for God. Now, that same persuasion we see comes after the fact that he was actually saved. And so he took that motivation that he had to persecute the church and turned it into saving individuals. Uh, but we see him convinced of this. Pick, pick it up in verse 1. He says, finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, rejoice in the Lord. Uh, to write the same things to you, uh, to me indeed is grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. 
For we are the circumcision, which worship God in spirit, and rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. You see, there's a, a confidence, and we if I had more time, I would have uh, spun it back to this. But you see these different confidences or, or persuasions that you can place things in, right? There are a lot of people in this world that are persuaded by the things that they own. That's why they spend their lives trying to attain and attain and attain and attain. And those things become the whole essence of who they are. There are people that are persuaded by what other individuals can do. They put their trust in, in what someone else has done. And it's not the work of the son. <laughs> it's the work of someone else. And then there's us. We are persuaded by what Christ has already done. And the fact that we can place faith in that and be persuaded by it, that allows us to conduct ourselves in the present. Here, Paul, he didn't put any confidence in the flesh, in his own ability, or these things that he could do in the flesh or that he had done in the past. And so he says here, we have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence or persuasion in the flesh, if any man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. And so if there was anyone who should place some confidence or persuasion in who they are according to the flesh, it should have been him as he's looking at the things that he accomplished. What did he accomplish? Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. You see, as a good Hebrew young man, he did everything that he was supposed to do. Not saying that he didn't sin, but if he sinned, he wouldn't offer for that sin just as it was prescribed in the law. He did everything that he was supposed to do. And I would submit to you, again, those murders that he led of, of Christians, he thought he was doing the right thing. And you say, how can you do that? Well, there are people in wars and all kinds of things that end up having to kill people. And you think that those individuals think that they're wrong in what they're doing? There's a, a lot of different ways you can take your mind and make your mind go, right? Uh, and so here we can look on the other side of it and say he was murdering people. Well, he thought he was doing what was right. And and so we see this. In verse 6, he says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, uh, touching the righteousness, I think I just read it, which is in the law blameless. Verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those things that before I saw as gain, those counted I loss for what? For Christ. In verse 8, yea doubtless, all, uh, yea, doubtless, and I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is out from the law, but that which is through faith, or the faith of Christ, the righteousness which uh, is from God, by faith, or, uh, and, and you, so you see that there. Now, we, we talked about this uh, in our series of, of being found, this passive of being found. Uh, you can look at this several different ways. 
You can look at it as individuals that see you in your conduct on this earth. There are other people, including believers and unsaved people, that are watching how you're living out this life and seeing if what you're saying matches up with what you're doing. And so you have that element of it. You have angels that are watching you and learning about how God uses his manifold wisdom through you and I. Now, the pastor has joked in the past times that for some, guess what? <laughs> They're not learning much at all. They're learning that was a bad mistake that God did, saving that individual, because he's getting nothing out of him, right? I'm not pointing at you. <laughs> you see that. Uh, and then there's uh, God that's seeing how you're conducting yourself. And we know there's going to come a point in time when his son returns. How do you want to be found when that happens? Because guess what? You don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know. I watched this movie one time. It was a comedy. I'm not going to tell you what movie it was, but <laughs> the woman would often quote on the movie, is this where you want to be when Jesus comes back, making fun of this poor individual right here? And she used it to chide individuals as to how they were acting, right? But for us, we can look at that and think about it in our lives as we're living it out. Is this where you want to be? When Jesus returns, is this how you want to be found when the Lord comes back? And so we can think about that. But this persuasion that Paul had, he had a persuasion before he was converted. And certainly after we see in the scriptures that uh, match up with this when he had a different persuasion after. Now, I'm going to uh, hold off from going into the rest of this. We could have... Uh, uh, yeah, there's no way to, to tie it quickly, so I'm not going to do it. Uh, but we could look at several other words that come off from this word for uh, for uh, persuasion that you see uh, in different parts of Scripture. And so our word uh, thoreto, and I'm just going to give you the the uh, the definition, and then you can uh, write down some of the verses that I have for it. But you see, an inward sense of confidence, not always able to be expressly detected through uh, the link to an individual's activities. And so you can translate it easily by saying to have a quiet confidence. You ever seen somebody that just comes and carries their way in such a way that they have confidence and they don't have to say anything? You just see it in them by the way that they're, they're living, it, living it out. And they don't have to sit here and beat on their chest and say, I can do this or that. Uh, you see this word used of them. It could also uh, be translated courageous. Let's just go to one verse real quick over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Well, it, it occurred actually in 2 Corinthians 2.1. Go with me over there. 10.1, 10, 10, sorry. And it's translated here bold. But I would actually translate... Um, translate that for a, a, a different word that we're going to see uh, but here it says now i paul myself beseech you by meek the meekness and gentleness of christ who in presence am base or this word for humble among you but being absent and bold you see this idea of, of courageous toward you and so this inner sense of confidence that paul had caused him to speak to them in a certain way right 
And it wasn't anything that was out of the way that he was saying. He's just speaking to them from a place of confidence and conviction in what he's saying that is true. Uh, and so you see that one. We also have the word uh, talma'o, which has this uh, same idea of, of an audaciousness really here. Now, this word is is very close to another the other word that we just saw, the re'o. And so in uh, Thayer's, they actually have a... Um, <coughs> Uh, Thayer's lexicon, they have, because these words are synonyms, they have uh, a note on it. And so it says, the re'o, the one that we looked at a second ago, denotes confidence in one's own strength or capacity, boldness or daring in undertaking, and has a reference more of character, whereas tomao is a manifestation. And so you see someone who is very confident or very courageous, what do they do? They dare to do something. They're very bold to do it. Now, I've looked at people that jump out of airplanes, for instance, and I will tell you that they are way more courageous, and maybe some people would say reckless, <laughs> than I am. I'm not jumping out of an airplane. I don't have enough confidence in the world. Uh, for those that ride motorcycles, my brother came in on a motorcycle today. You're very much more courageous <laughs> than I am maybe reckless, <laughs> because I, I'm not going to get on a motorcycle. But you would dare do that. And so you have some courageousness <laughs> that I don't have. Now we see this one in verse 2 of chapter 10. He says, but I beseech you that I may not be bold. Uh, there's the reo, the inward sense. When I uh, am present with you with that same confidence, Wherewith I think to be bold against some which think of uh, uh, thinketh of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Now that last uh, word translating bold uh, is our word to dare. To dare to do something. You're audacious. You have the audacity to do something. Right. When we were younger, uh, some of us had a little bit more uh, daringness than others. Right. I think we all came to a point in our teenage years where we do it. But uh, our father, you see this uh, soft man sitting here before you today, <laughs> this gregarious fellow. But when we were growing up, he was a hard man, right? <laughs> and and you, you dare not do anything or say anything against what he said. But you know, young men, as they creep into their teenage years, they get a little bolder, right? <laughs> you start feeling it, and you say, hey, I dare to speak my mind and say what it is that I want to say. Uh, it didn't always end well, <laughs> right? <laughs> but this shows this inward confidence of an individual that is expressed through action. And so you see that daringness. Paul was able to be daring. Why? Because he was convinced he had this persuasion concerning the things which he was speaking of. And so you see that one there. Uh, and then lastly, uh, this word uh, having the idea of boasting. Uh, it's our word for caucasus. Uh, uh, and we see it translated different ways in scripture. But I would say it's the verbal pronouncing of an individual of a personal act resulting from their own uh, uh, or another's ability and so you can beat on your chest and say look at what I did no you can say look at what Christ did through me and so we see that in action go with me over to um, uh, there's one that's close go with me over to 2nd Corinthians chapter 9 
Now, we see <laughs> this word occurs several times, really one, two, three, four, five, six, seven times in 2 Corinthians, this idea of, of boasting. Uh, but here, uh, right prior to our verse that the pastor wants to, to hammer in your head concerning giving, you see this word used. Pick it up in verse 1. It says, For it's touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous uh, for me to write unto you. For I know uh, the forwardness of your mind, uh, for which I boast uh, of you to them of Macedonia, that, uh, of Macedonia that Achaia was ready a year ago. And your zeal had provoked very many. So remember what happened here in the, the context that they made a pledge to give to those at Jerusalem. And because they did it, other people said, hey, look at what they're doing. They're doing the right thing. Let's jump in and give. Then the other people gave. And they came back to the Corinthian saints, and they didn't do it. They weren't giving. And so in verse 3, he says, yet have I sent uh, the brethren, lest our boasting, see, Paul is boasting concerning them, of you should be uh, in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready, uh, lest happily if they of Macedonia come with me, and find you unprepared, we, that, uh, that we say not ye, uh, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. You see, Paul has said, hey, look at these Corinthian saints over here. They're willing to give. And then other people gave in accordance with that. And then these ones he's boasting about didn't follow through on what they said they were going to do. Now, as we go forward, you see in chapter 10 that he's persuaded that they're going to act in accordance with those things that they're supposed to do. And so he doesn't just give up on them. Uh, but you see this word used several times. Uh, oh, we have one more. I'm sorry. Uh, our word uh, parousia also is a synonym to this. And it has the idea of, um, of uh, see my place, freedom to speak. And so you see it translated a lot of times, boldness to proclaim something. And so uh, I liken it to when I started speaking. I'm not a, a very uh, outgoing person by nature. I'm a little timid, in fact, in most uh, senses. Uh, now, over the time, I've spoke more and more, so it's easier to get up here and speak. Uh, but this boldness of being able to speak in front of people. We have this thing uh, called Toastmasters, or the speaking club that we do at work. And you can see people develop over time. The more they get up and do something, the more bold they become to speak. Now, I don't think public speaking is ever something that you just, uh, if you're not by nature an outgoing person, that you just get up in front of people and, and are very at ease doing that. But you can see that can be developed. But this idea of being bold to speak or plainness of speech, we see it of Peter when he's over there in, uh, in, in Acts. And as he gets up and speaks in front of the people, this uh, Peter, who is always somewhat bold, but sometimes being made to act uh, out of cowardice. He's very bold in his speech, even toward the Jews uh, as he speaks over there. But let's just look at one example of this in Second Corinthians over in chapter seven and verse four. <clears throat> And pick it up in verse 1. Now, here is a direct tie. Um, and, and again, I would have tied a lot more of these together if I had more time. But 
here you see a direct tie to the promises that God has made. He says, therefore, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from our uh, uh, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. I speak not this to condemn you. For I have said before that you are in our hearts to die and live with you. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is your, uh, my glorifying in you or of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulation. Uh, for when we were come to Ma into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Without were fightings, within were fears. And so you see Paul here, um, and you know the story, that he was chased all the way from Thessalonica into Corinth, where he's uh, writing this epistle, or where he, well, where he wrote to the Thessalonian saints. But here he's referring to the fact that when he came there, he was not in a good place. And yet now he's able to speak from a place of boldness toward these Corinthian saints. Uh, and so you see that there. Now again, if if, uh, if more time had sufficed, we could have uh, tied a lot more of this together. And I think there's probably more information here that can be done in, in one sitting. Uh, probably going to end up using this for if we go out to, to Washington and speak out there. Uh, but wanted to encourage encourage the saints concerning the the persuasion and confidence that we can have, and it's not just that we have to feign confidence as to who we are in Christ. You know, believers a lot of times in in life put on their their Christian face, right? And it's really a backdoor form of legalism, <laughs> I would say, to be able to say I have to act this way in front of people. So that they see what they're supposed to see. You know, it would be better for you to withdraw yourself <laughs> from the situation and go and get your mind in the right place spiritually. Uh, it's one of the struggles of, of when you're dealing with your family, right? There's no place you're going to be able to hide. <laughs> they see everything. And so you can't duck away into a corner. <laughs> There's no way you can uh, move out of the way. Maybe you can go in a room and pray and get your mind back to, to where it's supposed to be. But your family sees you for what you are. When you're on the outside, you can, you can put on the Christian face. But we don't have to fake confidence. We don't have to fake being persuaded because we've all been persuaded concerning the same thing that we've placed our faith in. And that's who we are in Christ and who God says we are in Christ and we should all be fully persuaded by that and that should be the impetus to how we're acting in this uh, present, present uh, Christian life. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father we're grateful for this day and, and grateful um, that we don't have to uh, feign any confidence and our confidence is, is from what we are persuaded by concerning you and what your son has done on our behalf. Uh, we are uh, so grateful that one's not deserving of this action. Uh, you have still uh, saw fit to save us and to provide us with things that we can use, with great promises that tie uh, to those things that you've provided to us 
and that we can act in accordance with that. Uh, we pray that we would be placing faith in these promises and um, day by day growing and maturing and being able to show forth the life of your son, Jesus Christ, so that others may see, uh, be it unsaved people or believers, and so that you might be glorified. And we pray all of these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.